all look lovely. Great smiles. You're all, you, you, you look very healthy as if you celebrate it well, your Christmas. <laughs> I'm sure that if we uh, took a moment to, to listen to the different types of delicacies that you had, I'm sure there was laughter and there was good tasting food at your table. Our story this morning takes us back to several weeks after the Christmas event. In fact, I think there's uh, such an anticipation, and I'm sure that if you do some analysis with psychology, you would find that there's like this high, and then there's this low that happens with celebrations. It's kind of like, like uh, the addict, right, that uh, needs a fix. And then after, hits a low, and all of a sudden needs something else. And that's kind of the atmosphere that had been occurring in ancient Israel, where anticipation, where uh, uh, sayings and hearings of prophecy that would be fulfilled, and the coming Messiah, and all of these things. Uh, if you go back just several hundred years in the history of the Middle East, you find out all of the transitions that happened with the geopolitical movements and seismic shifts that had occurred in that side of the world. Well, um, as we will see this morning, yet amidst what perhaps might seem chaotic to the human eye or understanding or darkness or uncertainty, kind of like our world today. You notice how we're finishing up 2023, right? And a big shout out to you. Congratulations, because you made it to the last day of this year. <laughs> so if nothing else, take comfort in that. You know, you're, you're living in the last day of the year, right? I, I think somebody up there in social media had put, you know, this is an a, a interesting year because they put 12, uh, 31, 23. I don't know what that means, but I, I saw several of you were posting that and sharing that throughout social media. I don't know why. I still, I'm not a mathematician. I don't know why, but there's something about those numbers that seem uh, caught people's interest. And so you made it. You're living a day in history. Very much like this morning's story. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're still in the uh, uh, Lucan narrative of the, of the birth of the, of the Messiah. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, this one uh, uh, part of the scriptures brings a closure brings a closure to our minds. Luke wants us to bring closure to our minds about the Christmas story and, and understanding what is happening next and the implications of the Christmas story. And so we pick up in verse 29 of Luke chapter uh, 2, and it reads something like this. Sovereign Lord, what a beautiful way to, to raise a hallelujah, to raise a doxology, to raise a praise to God. Sovereign Lord, you, as you have promised, not only is he sovereign, but he's a promising God. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. One early church father called this the nunc dimittis in Latin. For what we know in verse 29, now dismiss your servant. Now, if you ask me, I would say, this is the praise of a man who's about to die. This is the praise of somebody who is getting ready to leave the old and embrace a new chapter of life. Kind of like us today, this morning. We are saying goodbye to 2023. Some of us don't want to even look back and reflect at all the good things that God has done for us, even when they were painful. Even when they were difficult, even when, when you encounter failing health, 
right? All the negativities that we can put, the political change and shifts and winds. And even amidst in that, we have this person that we're going to uh, consider this morning saying, Lord, now dismiss your servant. So, Father, this morning, as we consider your word, help us. Listen. Give us open ears and open eyes and open hearts to listen to what the Spirit of Christ would speak to the church in the 21st century. That we may listen, that we may glean, that we may gain insight into this narrative that was written two millennia ago that is still relevant for us today and will still be relevant for people tomorrow. So Father, as your local body of believers that have been called out, that have experienced the beauty and the wonder of the Christmas story, Lord, help us to learn and to apply what you have recorded for us in your scripture. We thank you. We thank you for every day of this past year. And Father, we want to also bring that to conclusion as we embrace what you will bring for us and what you will provide for us as a local congregation in 2024. One thing for sure, one thing is clear for us in the Holy Scriptures. You are a God of promise and you are a God who keeps his promise. And Lord, you are a promise keeper. And so, Father, thank you for that. Because there's comfort, there's truth, there's certainty in that. Even when our world is shifting and there's a lot of uncertainty, even when there's migration of people flooding the southern border and people exiting California. And so, Father, amidst all of that movement, you are an established and a promise keeper. May we take comfort in that, Lord. And may our hearts be edified in the holiest of faith, the faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, again, Luke wants us to bring conclusion to this narrative of the birth of the Messiah. So he takes us from the scene of Bethlehem very quickly, and he transports us in these verses to what we would know in the city of Jerusalem, into the temple. And so we have here this, this presentation, like uh, a, good, a good lesson for us who are expanding families and growing families to bring our children and present them before the Lord. And that's what Joseph and Mary did. In fact, they were just observing Old Testament law. Old Testament law that one could find, and, and we get a little hint here as to how approximate, how long did this take after the birth for, so for Joseph and Mary to bring the baby child to the temple to be presented, right? Old Testament law. Le, uh, Leviticus chapter 12 tells us approximately about 40 days of cleansing, the menstrual cleansing of a woman, approximately that many days, then you would come and do purification in the temple. So some, some scholars have estimated somewhere around 40 uh, uh, to, to 60 days approximately. That's when you would find, some people have put it up there somewhere in 70 days after uh, uh, Jesus had been born, um, that they brought him to the temple. Notice, Old Testament law also was eight days after the, the child was born, he was circumcised. That was Jewish custom. So, so here we have um, uh, Joseph and Mary bringing uh, the baby Jesus to the temple, right? And then we also know that they were also following the laws, uh, uh, Old Testament law, because it's also identified for us in Exodus chapter 13, how these were important practices for Jewish faith and Jewish tradition. So if you observe just a little bit of this text, right, right before we start jumping into the meat and potatoes of, of, of thought and, and, and how we want to just observe uh, some of the truths of this praise, if you notice this, so, so you have in verse uh, 22, 
Um, you have this, 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 hey, they're getting to the temple. They're following these customs. They're observing uh, Jewish uh, law, right? And so they, they, they go there. But we're introduced in verse 25 to a man by the name of Simeon. Now, Simeon is a very interesting character here in Luke's narrative. Because Simeon, his Hebrew name means God has heard. God has heard. Now, this is very important, especially when you listen to the echoes of Old Testament allusions in the text of Luke, you, you, you come to discover something very interesting, right? The people were waiting. There was a sense of expectancy, kind of like us here in the story of Clovis E.V. Free, right? God has been gracious, and not because of me, but, but because he's been faithful to his promise to you as a Bible-believing group of people that he's called out here in Clovis back in the history of 83 when he first called out this church and said, hey, here in Clovis, when this was, a, 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 what was this, an almond orchard, right? And, and, and there was no buildings here. God called us out and said, hey, my purpose and will is for a church to be established here in the corner of Santa Ana and Armstrong. Hence, we, if you look to your right and you look to your left and you can look beyond there in the balcony, we are the ones that God has called out to form a family, to form a group of people of the redeemed that God has greater purposes. And there's a sense of anticipation and excitement here for entering into 2024. Why? Why? Because there's a hope. The gospel gives us hope. The gospel provides for us a hope that is life-giving, a hope that's not dead or stagnant or stale. We become stagnant, stale, weak, fragile, right? You don't believe me. Just remember this morning when you woke up, if you struggled to get out of bed, you, you were reminded, right, of age. We're all that way. It's not easy to uh, uh, get up anymore. But if we look at the structure of this text here, we find that we're introduced to Simeon. But where I really want to focus on is on this hymn. Because this hymn really just encapsulates for us and, and really puts perspective for us of, 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 and, and a good inspiration for us to praise the Lord. I mean, I love the first part of worship, right? Because you're worshiping. But I love to get my praise on. So you'll see me swaying, my hands raised up, a little, you know, a little dance here and there, right? It's all permissible. It's good. But I love, why? Because for me, praise really just hits that note and melody and, 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 and just a little bit kind of like a reminder, right? Technical reminders. What is praise and what is worship? Praise is about praising and celebrating what God has done. So we should praise him. Why? Because God has done great things for us. And God will do great things for us tomorrow. Just as he has done great things for us in the past. And that's a reason to praise so if you want a greater reason to praise, get your praise on and praise the Lord for what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. But this praise, it really just unpacks for us a few things here. Jesus, notice this praise really focuses on Jesus. Jesus is the instrument of God's salvation. We see that in verses 28 through 30. We also see something very interesting this universal reach of salvation to all peoples, all tribes, all language, all people groups. And Luke's gospel or Luke's theology really unpacks that for us because Luke was written with the Gentile in mind. And so we see how this praise moves be beyond just this nation of Hebrews, of Jewish people, and now it includes those beyond, beyond Judaism. And thank God it included the Latinos in there too. <laughs> Whew, I was starting to 
to, 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 to sweat a little bit, right? It includes the Africans, the Asians. It includes all people to be invited. And notice how this simple praise just does that. But, but again, and then if you dig it, uh, just, just kind of like that bone that you were eating from the turkey or ham or, or whatever meats you were eating, your T-bone steak, right? We find out that verses 31 through 32 describe this as a light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. So notice how all of this has connections and echoes and, and it's like, like this voice just, just shouting out with Old Testament language and mindset that is just permeating out of the text here. So again, if we look at the, hymn, the outline of this hymn, it's very interesting, um, and you could clearly see how this hymn, um, it, it just echoes from Old Testament. Now, there's something interesting about what we just read here. Something very just interesting. If you look at both Mary's and Zechariah's praise, so for example, if you look at uh, uh, verses 46 through 55 of, of uh of uh, the previous chapter, right? And then you read uh, verses 68 through 69, right? Zechariah's praise. These hymns have something similar to Simeon's song here, or doxology. What do you think that is? Well, I, I, thought, I thought this was interesting. And um, uh, let, me, let, me, let me give credit where credit is due. David Garland really helped highlight this. And this is how he put it. He said, these hymns derived from promise to fulfillment to response of praise. I'm going to say that again. I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, David Garland. It was Joel Green who said that. These hymns derived from promise to fulfillment to response of praise. Think about that for a minute. When God fulfills something, I know some of you, 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 you're a little bit more stiff at church, right? But, but, but when God fulfills a promise to you, I bet you're not stiff at all. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, it's like winning the lottery or something. Right? You, you, I, some of you older folks, you probably put down your cane and you start dancing and you start praising God and forget about all your limitations and you just start throwing your hands up and going old school gospel or we're looking for Caesar to play some gospel music there. This was a promise fulfilled. The Messiah had just been born. There was a darkness, a shadow that was permeating society, uncertainty. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of racism. There was a lot of tension. There was all kinds of things going on. And, 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 and again, you're not going to let you history buffs, you, you're not going to let me lie. Why? Because there was tension between Jewish state and Rome. There was such a tension. And in fact, you know, the Jews, they, they, they really just, uh, they were straightforward. They, they considered Gentiles dogs and, 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 and the Romans the scum of the world. Right? So in that, in that, we see this fulfillment, this, 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 this promise that God had made it just have been fulfilled. And then you see this response of praise. But why? Why did that happen? Well, we're introduced to Simeon. Who was Simeon? Well, we don't clearly know who was Simeon. But obviously, Simeon was somebody very influential and had some very strong knowledge of temple worship. In fact, extra biblical literature, right? Things that are not found in the Bible. You would have to go to pseudo gospels like the pseudo gospel of Matthew. And you would have to go into some of the apocrypha books and writings and that form of literature to kind of, kind of piece things together and kind of get an idea as to what is going on here. But, but some extra biblical literature suggests that this Simeon was actually a priest. He was an aged priest which there's some historical uh, literature and documents that you can kind of verify that. Now, I'm not saying, suggesting that this Simeon was that, but there was a Simeon that was alive who was an aged man. You know, if I, if I go back into logic and connecting the dots, I mean, it makes perfect sense why this guy was already asking, Lord, now send me away. Basically, we're saying, God, 
Now let me rest in peace. That's basically what Simeon was saying. But he was just, just saying it randomly because he, he woke up with a lot of pain that morning. Or he was feeling down. Simeon was, was, was privileged. Now Simeon represents the best of Old Testament faith and religion being manifested. Why? Because Luke is so careful to describe him as a righteous and as a devout person. Well, I would love to be known as that at the end of my life. Hey, Pastor Pablo, he wasn't the best speaker. He wasn't the best communicator. He actually wasn't the best dresser either. But you know what? Pastor Pablo was a devout and a righteous man. He loved Jesus. He loved people. And, and, and isn't that beautiful that it could be said about us at the end of our lives? That Randy, that Alan, that Soshi, that Cesar, that Carl. Oh, Carl, he was a pest. But he loved Jesus. He had a great heart. Huh? How, what, what do you want to be said about you when you're no longer here? And Simeon was privileged, right? Because he had this hope. He knew the prophecies. He understood what, what was going on. And he was waiting. In fact, the text even tells us that he was. So here, 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 as we dive into this, here, let me give you three things that, that, that I really just spoke to my heart, and I hope that they will speak to yours as well. First, first, we know that God is a promise keeper, and he kept this promise of reconciliation. How so? Look what the text tells us. It informs us of this. In verses 25 through 26, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. We know what his name means. It's God has heard. Simeon who was righteous and devout, he, notice this, notice the description that Luke gives us. He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Oh, I love that. It messes up all my theology. The Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, and that he would not die. Imagine that. Imagine that God spoke to you and said, hey, you're not going to die until this happens. And that's what happened to Simeon, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And check this out, friends. This is really going to rock your theology and your church tradition. He was moved by the Spirit, verse 27. He was moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and then he goes into the hymn that we're, we're going to reconsider here. Again, there's a lot to unpack here. Time does not allow me. But here's the, the one thing I want to instill in your, in your ears and your thought this morning. God he is a promise keeper of reconciliation. We've been in the book of Colossians. And there's a reason why we're in the book of Colossians. It's not that I'm torturing you. <laughs> it's not that the pastor's being mean and he's really, no, no. There's a reason why, as I took on this pastoral job, that God just really, I wrestled with, and I wrestled, and intensely wrestled, and God just says, you know what? Just sit in the book of Colossians for now. But notice this. The word, the consolation of Israel, is rooted in Old Testament language. So again, we're not... Those believers that think, oh, the, the Old Testament is irrelevant. It's all about the, if that's your theology, I'm sorry. I'm going to probably insult you this morning. But, but, but we believe in both the Old and the New Testament being the inspired word and authoritative word of God. It's all of the scripture. 
collectively speaks to us God's revealed truth for humankind. And so when we look at this phrase, the consolation of Israel, we have to go into Old Testament and just hear the echo that Luke had scripted into this part of his narrative. And, and, and you go namely to Isaiah's messianic mission or missional, right? Description of the Messiah's work here on earth. For example, Isaiah 41, it says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Isaiah 49, 13, it says, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Isaiah 51, 3, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins, will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sound of singing. Boy, I love it when we sing at church. I love it when we sing at church. Isaiah 52, 9, burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Isaiah 57, 18 tells us, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. And one last part of this messianic missional description of the Messiah from, from Isaiah chapter 40 verse six, uh, to chapter 66 is found in Isaiah 66 verses 10 and 11. And it says, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her, for you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting. Boy, Jerusalem needs comforting today. Israel needs comforting today. Um, comforting breast, you will drink deeply in delight in her overflowing abundance. Let me ask you, who needs comforting? Because it seems here that comforting is being put or juxtaposed right next to salvation. Redemption, reconciliation. And so, so again, you're, you're, you're seeing this Old Testament language. It's not the language of the 21st century modern church. This is Old Testament, ancient, seven centuries before Jesus ever walked on the earth. Here you have the prophet Isaiah prophesying about all these comforts that will be coming at the coming of the Messiah. Glory to God. Why? Because I could tell you, I need comforting. I need consolation. I can tell you a whole list of people who need consolation this very day. Perhaps some of you here, or perhaps someone uh, seeing this online, might need comforting and consolation. There's a promise here that God is a promise keeper. So we, here at Clovis EV Free, we want to have our, open, our, our ears open. We want to have our eyes open. Why? Because the Lord is continually uh, reconciling humankind to himself. The church is God's agent to proclaim his glorious works in a dark world. Our world is dark, friends. We live in very difficult times and things aren't getting better. And if you're an eschatological nerd... You know this. Things aren't going to get better. Things are not. In fact, Jesus said that the last days will be like the days of Noah. What kind of days were the days of Noah? Very dark. Even though they were partying and, having, and they were getting drunk and whatnot. They were, they were having a good time. But there was darkness there. There was depravity. So depravity isn't all. Oh, it's thunders and lightning and all. Oh, no. It's a lot more. It's spiritual also. It's political, it could, all dimensions of, human, of humanity. And so we want to be committed 
to this promise of reconciliation to humankind and the church is God's agent to proclaim his glorious work in a dark world. Our vision here, mind you, our vision here is that Christ is supreme in all things. Don't believe me, it's on the wall. <laughs> we have it there, folks. We have it there. Christ is supreme above all all things. And so we need to see how Paul wrote this and, and really he, he really helps us understand what is, what is being said here in this hymn of praise. For that, take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19. I know we can go into all those other texts, but look, look at what uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us. That God was reconciled the world to himself through who? In Christ. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. But notice this, not counting people's sin against them. Friends, I'm going to dare be bold here. If God doesn't consider people's sin against him, neither should we. Amen. I'm going to say that again. Because it didn't strike hard at us. Hard enough. If God does not consider people's sin against them in the work of salvation, neither should we. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> what did I just do? Well, it's right there in the Bible. That's hard. That is hard, friends. But you know what? This is the word of the Lord. And, and, and so Paul, you know, really was, was, and Corinth was a very messed up church. You don't believe me. I mean, there was even sexual sin going on all over, at all levels there. People were suing one another, huh? The true manifestation of Christian love, right? Take your brother to court. <laughs> but look, so, so not counting people's sin against it, and he has committed, no, no, Listen, we're not done yet. And he has committed to us the message of re... What is Paul telling the church there? Is he suggesting that just as God does not count people's sins against them when he's going to save them, neither should we. But then notice this. We have been tasked. Right? Is that what it's saying, or, or, or am I like theologically going off the road here? It says, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We too have this mandate, folks. We cannot close the door to the world. The world needs to see an open door. We are it's like Motel 6. We need to leave the light on for people. That's it. We need to leave the light on for people. So this might be a difficult task for many of us. It requires the Lord to work out the, the, the bugs of justification, sanctification, and glorification for those who he calls into his kingdom. Our responsibility, friends, is to instruct those who God is calling into salvation, biblical truths, to help them grow by That is hard. Man, take off that tattoo. Can't take it off. Sonder. See, so, so this here, this is that, that, that scope of the reconciliation that God's working out, right? We might not like it. We don't, man, God's ways are not our ways. God works in mysterious ways. He makes, he, he, he opens. I, I love this passage from Isaiah 58 because Isaiah 58 closes off the chapter saying, hey, if you return to God and you call back to me and you humble yourself to the Lord, I will make your deserts into gardens and I will create where there's drought, I will create flows of water and then he gives this whole series of R's that I love I, I spoke this at Trinity University uh, in their chapel service and I said he'll make you restorers of, of, of people, he will make you repairers of walls, he will make you rebuilders, huh? rebuilders of cities and then not that we in our lives in our own uh, create new life but he will make you regenerators of life 
agents who spew out life-giving. And how do you do all that? Not by your own efforts, my friends. You do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who is the third person of the blessed and holy trinity. He is God. Not by power or my might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we take the, the second thing here is that God's kept promise causes some. This is hard. God's kept promises causes some to fall and others to rise. One scholar said, there's a crisis here. There's, there's a theological crisis here in the birth of the Messiah. Something here is going to cause people to reject. Friends, you don't have to, you don't need a preacher to tell you this. Just look at the news. What are they targeting? I mean, look at the government. They, they, they're, they're fighting against, what is this, Grand Canyon uh, University? What a shame. Sorry, I, I don't mean to be political here. So please don't, don't, I'm not preaching politics here. But it's a shame. You know, they find them, and now the school has to sue the government and get into this legal uh, uh, argument because all because of, you know, their stance and their beliefs and they're, they're just coming against people who are uh, individuals. But that shouldn't surprise us. That, that, that's a good wake-up call for the church that we too need to be on guard, that we need to be faithful stewards. But what is God doing here in the, the birth of his... Look, look what verses 34 and 35 tell us. The child's father and mother marveled at what had... So, so this is post the hymn, right? Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. This child, notice well, this child is destined... Huh, notice the, 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 the carefulness of, of just... Of God's intentionality here in, in, in the affairs of humankind. So we don't believe that God is, doesn't care about humanity. He's involved in creation. And look how he, he did it. Uh, not just through the incarnation, but the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Speaking to Mary. So we don't have to unpack all of this. But however, there's, a, there's obviously a crisis going on here, right? Jesus, full of grace and truth and compassion and mercy and came to reveal to us God's perfect will of salvation and reconciliation and restoration, right? would be the cause of crisis in the life of, of people who will hear and encounter him. In fact, in fact, I love what Paul has said to, to the church in Corinth, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He says, our lives are like we're being paraded down life. And, and our life... Whether you like it, whether you put eternity or all those fancy colognes, your life is going to release some aroma. Your life is going to release something. People are either going to like you or they're going to dislike you. I'm sorry that, that you had to come to church this morning to hear that. Doesn't matter how much deodorant you put on this morning and the fat, how many baths you took, your life your life will release an aroma. I'm not talking about body aroma, right? It's going to release some aroma. And for some, notice what Paul tells the church in Corinth. He says, for we are, verse 15 and 16 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, for we are to God a, the pleasing aroma of Christ. Okay? Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And then look, look what he says. To the one, you are in a aroma that brings death. Any of you like a, a, a decomposing body, the scent of a... Nobody likes that. I, lived, I grew up in front of a cemetery and there were burned bodies there. And oof. Anytime they start, you saw that chimney go on, 
you'd run inside and that's it. Your day was done. To, to the ones who, who to, to the one, we are an aroma that brings death, to the other, an aroma that brings life. This is the crisis that Luke is describing here in the Christ child. This, 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 this tension, right? You see it in Judah. Judas, he despaired. Peter repented. One of the robbers on the cross of Calvary blasphemed. The other confessed Christ. Notice the different reactions that happened there, even in the life of Jesus. So we here at Clovis Free, we want to be committed to the proclamation of the gospel. This is our primary responsibility. God's responsibility is to change lives. What is our responsibility, friends? Proclaim the gospel. What is God's responsibility? To change lives lives you and me don't change people <laughs> oh pastor we want everyone to look just like me oh no we're in trouble <laughs> we want them to look like jesus and so we see that we want to intentionally engage our community we're going to have opportunity to do that if the lord really comes through for us um, we're going to partner with kingdom-minded, likeness or, or uh, like-minded parachurch organizations. We also want to use our resources. Resources is not just the building, friends, or the land. It's all of us. It's all of us. These are just and, and, and help us wrestle the complexities. The complexities of what salvation's work is happening in our lives. Ultimately, it is God's prerogative to call people unto himself. We must be okay with that, even as people stumble with the gospel message. We need to be okay. In fact, you can, you can walk out of the doors of this church today and say, Pastor Pablo said it's okay. He gave me permission when people get upset when I talk about the gospel. Because you're going to encounter that. So what is, what is Luke really trying to communicate here? here here's what, what I, in, in wrestling with this through commentaries and exegetical tools, here, here's what I think Jesus was really, what, what Luke was really describing about Jesus. Jesus, he, he, he would suggest, Jesus' ministry, the person and the work of Christ, shows where hearts are really at before God. Jesus will expose those who do not believe in him. In fact, somebody even said, Jesus is the litmus test for the individual Jewish responses to the fulfillment of their promise. You don't believe me, just look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They tried to kill, they did, they, they were successful. They had Jesus crucified. And they even riled up that whole mob. Remember, they were going to free Barabbas and, 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 and they put Jesus, you know, a good man and a, versus the bad man. And, and what did society go with? Hang them. <laughs> and they did. But this is, this is what I think Luke was getting at, right? I love what John Bunyan, he put it this way in his book, A Complete Savior. He says, he says this, two sorts of men seem to be so far away. Very far from God. He says, the first one is the town sinner. The second one is the great backslider. But then, he says, both of these, if they come, he is able to save to the utmost. He is able to save them from all the dangers that they fear will prevent their obtaining of that grace and mercy that would have to help them in their time of needs. So that in the gospel, the publicans and the harlots enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not suggesting universalism here. So don't be going, walking out of this church. Hey, Pastor Paul said, no, that's not what I'm saying. The gospel is clear. Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. 
Finally, God's kept promise included all people, groups, nations, tribes, and languages. And this is very clear. This is so clear. This isn't the theory, uh, critical race theory. This isn't inclusism or whatever you, you understand what I just said. Um, th this isn't about that, you know, uh, diversification. No, no, no. The end result of the gospel is for all people groups, period. God was not interested just in the nation. He's interested in humankind. And so, look, what, look at this praise again. Sovereign Lord, right? What a beautiful statement. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, he's a promise keeper, you, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared. Can you imagine Longing. I mean, I grew up in church. My grandma used to say, Jesus is coming back again. Imagine if you actually live during the event of the second, you know, the, the second advent, the glorious return of Christ. Imagine if you're there. Man, what a privilege. But this old man, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in sight of all nations. There you go right there. Blacks, whites, Asians, Latinos, brown, Indian, every tribe, every nation for a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. This child is the salvation of God and he represents the public display of God's concern for people. Church, God is in the people business, and so are we. We are open for business here at Clovis Free. You saw some of the, the little beautiful examples of what God is doing here. Jesus is the light, a theme already noted throughout this Luke's narrative, and Simeon remarks the recalls of Isaiah 60. Verses 1 through 3. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. I'm not the only one that says that we live in a dark society. And thickness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Who is, who is the light? Christ the Lord. And John would say this in, first, in John chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and, and 9. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in darkness. Friends, you have the light of the gospel in your life. If society is dark, then you must light the shine. You might, you might, you might, I'm sorry. You have to shine the lights. You understood me. Shine the light. Shine the light. And the earth thick of God is over the peoples, but the light, look, it, it, upon, look, he rises the glory over you. Nations will come to your light and kings and um, to the brightness of your dawn. Praise the Lord. Um, again, uh, you know, last, last verse, and I promise I'm going to let you go. Last verse. Our commitment here at Clovis Free, if, I ha if you have not heard it, is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people groups. Those who will respond and those who will reject the good news. Be okay with that. At the end of the day, I think 1 John 5, 10 to 13 tells it very well. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony, if it's not clear for you. God has given us eternal life, and his life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God 
does have does not have life. So can we bow our heads, Father, this morning? To those who have been called out by you and have the Son, they have life. But there's neighbors, there's people across the street, there's people around the world, there's people in our jobs, there's people as we're going to the local supermarket or while we're out and about that need life. Lord, help us be that people amidst all the celebration and all the food and everything that's going on as we even conclude 2023. Help us see the light, the promise of salvation, the promise that was born on Christmas day, that in the life of the believer lives on every day. Lord, we're not the perfect church. We don't have the biggest building and the biggest of lands, but you have afforded us resources. And Father, we also, just like our Lord and Savior modeled, we want to be about the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? That all men would come to a saving relationship with him. Lord, we, we don't have this, this epiphany of what's next and what does this description look like? But Father, we have a praying church. We have people here that, that you have gifted and, and, and made, um, given the ability, Lord, to pray and intercede. We have people from all kinds of backs, walks of life and experiences and education, Lord. Father, bring us together. Let your praise arise. Let the name of Jesus Christ be exalted that he may draw men unto himself. And may we be the heralds and the clarion that proclaims the beautiful melody of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our dark society. Father, if anyone be in this room or anyone listening to this sermon, would they commit their life? Would they invite you and profess and believe in their hearts that you raised Jesus from the dead on the third day and that today he sits at the right hand of the Father and they would invoke your name by faith that they would be born again at this moment to the praise of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.